I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design, with a conversation about books. It's more than that, really. It's about special books, the kind that connect with those who love to read, but also love the idea behind holding the book as they do it. You can pop out the iPad, Nook, or Kindle, any, any digital device, really, and read material. It's an efficient delivery system for sure and ubiquitous as none of us are ever really that far away from our mobile device, right? But the idea of holding a book, reading the pages, feeling the paper, turning the pages in anticipation of not swiping but turning the page is an experience. Reading traditionally is a greater experience for many and that's where Christy Shannon Smurl comes in. She owns Foxtail Books and Library Services. They assist and consult their clients on building a unique library and the collection within that library to fill a void, a yearning really, for an experience that only a library can provide. The services include curation, organization, appraisal, cataloging, and sourcing the right materials. It's not just about holding, touching, and reading. It's an experience to match, an escape into that thriller, comedy, or series of short stories, poems. It's the experiential nature of design. And you'll meet Christy right after this. For well over a year now, you have been hearing incredible conversations, interviews, and panels with amazing creative talent as part of our Wellness and Design Thought Leadership series presented by Thermosol. It has been and continues to be an absolute joy working with the entire team at Thermosol from the top down. This multi-generational family business has been producing the gold standard in steam generators, saunas, steam showers, and steam shower accessories for decades. Thermosol is the original steam shower with technology that is state-of-the-art, made and manufactured in the United States. The company's history with steam showers started by David Altman in 1958. Murray Altman acquired Thermosol's steam bath division in 1989, and the company is now led by Mitch Altman from their world-class production facility in Round Rock, Texas. The most successful designers and architects are using steam showers to maximize wellness, relaxation, and enjoyment for their clients. Thermosol is a staunch advocate for the design trade, and I am so proud to have them as a presenting partner of Convo by Design and the Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series. If not familiar with the entire range of Thermosol products, please check out thermosol.com. Okay, so the first thing I'm going to tell you is that I, like you, I absolutely love books. I was on for a number of years. I was a commissioner in the beach city where I lived. I was on the library commission. And oh, wonderful. Yeah. And during that process, we, we went through in that six years, we went through the actual process of, and there was a lot in advance of this, but of tearing down the current 1970s built library and constructing oh an absolutely extraordinary library with with so many new services and so many and oh, the good. architecture and design of it it was amazing awesome um i've had a guest on before and we were talking about first editions and sort of the art of books books are amazing i love books right oh good you get it <laughs> i totally get it and, I, and i'm a tactile person too so i love the feeling i wanted sure. to talk to you about a couple of things 
I wanted to talk to you about books. Um, books as sources of information, of course, but also as art. Talk about libraries, n- not just as places to go, but especially over the last two years, the, the sort of construction and development of, of, of personal libraries. Mm-hmm. When did you fall in love with books? Oh, good question. Start, start early. Um, takes me way back. I, my mother introduced her love of books to me. I grew up in a home surrounded by books. We went to our public library all the time and always had an enormous stack of books in every corner. Um, and she also had a hunch when I was um, pretty young that I might want to be a librarian, that that might be suited to my personality. She didn't imagine this type of librarian that I have become, but she did sort of introduce that concept to me. Uh, And then I went on to get my master's degree in library science to work in institutions for many years and in public libraries and academic libraries, which uh, eventually led me down this path towards design, but it's been a winding road. And you're not you're not just someone who's a, who's a, a hobbyist. You've got a let's see. I'm I'm reading this, but graduate of the Colorado Antiquarian Book Seminar, Master of Library and Information Science with honors, University of Denver, Board of Directors, Jackson Hole Historical so- Society and Museum, consulting with the National Museum of Wild, uh, Wildlife Art and Jackson Hole Historical Society and Museum. So you've you've got the chops. You know you've you've done the work to sort of learn history and provenance. And what I think is interesting is I feel like we got away from books because of digital, Mm. right? So as the internet gained in popularity, 1990s into the 2000s, books, magazines, paper kind of went away a little bit. And now like vinyl, like records, you know, there's this Mm -hmm. resurgence. Um, It seems like the culture is really swinging back, including the younger generations. The research is showing that the younger people actually prefer reading the, the real deal, holding it in their hand, um, not just an ebook or, or an audiobook, although anything goes these days. Um, but people, people love those objects. They love the technology of the paper and the board. Um, it's fascinating. It is fascinating. So in 2016, you start Foxtail Books and Library Services. What was that founded to do? Books and Library Services was started to help homeowners enjoy books in their homes and in a lot of different ways. I I live in Jackson Hole and at at that point I was a public librarian here in Jackson Hole and I met one woman who needed help in her beautiful library that she had just moved into. She was a book person and came to the library looking for help and I sort of took it as a weekend gig. And I thought, oh, if, if she needs this help, there are more people out there that have more books than they know what to do with or more shelves than they know what to do with and are happy to pay someone to help them improve that or um, make it more beautiful, make it more meaningful to their family. Um, and, and that includes so many different elements of what the work has become. But I thought, oh, there's a market not only in Jackson, but, but nationally, there's not really anyone doing this version of what I'm doing. What's what's interesting about that to me, too, is in talking with a number of designers over the last few years, there's 
especially the last two, because it's really interesting how things kind of change. The, the art of accessorizing for designers, right? Mm-hmm. So prior to the past two years, there was more of a focus on beauty and art pieces and framing of a, of a tableau of constructed, you know, statuaries, three pieces, candle, you mm, know, whatever, yes. right. <laughs> but then it, there's, there's no real functionality to that. It looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. It balances a room. It looks great. But then over the last two years, really, it's like, well, I can't do anything with that. And I'm stuck at home and I don't want to just watch TV right. anymore. I want to go. Now you can, when you have books, you, there's this sense of, and I love this. And, and here's the romanticism in it for me, because I love books as much as I do. There's this art of rediscovery. You can, sure. my son in particular, my son's 19 and he's, he's away at college right now. From the time he was really young, though, he was a voracious book reader and mm. he would read the same book five, six, seven, eight times. Oh, that's I've never I've never been like that, because for me, I love magazines and I okay. love I love design books and I love architecture books. And right. for me, I love to go over and just pick up the book or the magazine and flip through the pages. There's this it sounds so silly. There's this art of, (laughs) there's this discovery with every turn Mm -hmm. of the page, you know, it's this surprise and delight, this anticipation of what comes next. So for a company that specializes in books and creating custom libraries, take me through the process that you go through when you work, because it's so personal and and it's so individual. Yes, I agree with you. Well, yeah, certainly some of our clients are or more like your son in the way that he might encounter and enjoy a book through his life. And, and some are more like you, more visual. And all of us are so different. And then our reading interests are so different. And of course, all of our interior design and the way that we fashion our space is going to be different. So it, it's a it's a process. It's It's getting to know a person and understanding what they love about books and why they've called me in the first place. Uh, sometimes people come to me and, and they, they have one topic in mind and they've already thought it through. They want, uh, for example, a, a sports library or they want a library that reflects, uh, connects to their modern art collection. And then there are others, probably the majority that their dream library has a hundred or more different topics in it. You know, they, they're people that are well-traveled and they studied a number of things in school and then went into a career and, also, they've developed a passion for a certain type of art or a certain pastime. They've had children. Their children have like different types of books. And so it really, you know, it's this process, whether it's in conversation or sometimes through a, a digital, I'll send a questionnaire to a client asking them sort of, who are you and, and what are the books that are in your dream library? You don't have to tell me the titles because that's, that's my job is to figure out what, what the best thing is that corresponds to your tastes. But what when you walk into a room and encounter something that makes you happy, is it a, is it a book from your childhood? Is it a specific type of design book that, that inspires you like certain types of architecture? Um, Is it the prospect of having 500 new uh, novels to read in, in the categories of fiction that you enjoy? And of course it's completely different every time. So it's a back and forth. And then once I have that larger uh, outline, for what that library could be content-wise, 
then I select the books one by one and and that takes on more of a I'm looking at the different versions of books it, it takes on more of a design piece um, even before we get the books up on the shelf and make them look pretty and maybe add bookends and sculpture and things like that it's also looking at the book as an object a design object itself and you know is it um is it a hardcover is it a paperback is it a leather bound edition is it a first edition or, or an early and interesting binding uh recently i did a, a fiction collection that the the homeowner really wanted the room to um be more neutral in tone and so we were able to look for editions of, of modern fiction that were published by british publishers when the american edition was too brightly colored so that the wall sort of ends up being more neutral and, and not this, you know, you don't have a red spine here and an orange spine there. We found as many light colored ones as we could, which took it to a, a different level. Isn't that interesting though? It's funny, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So years ago, um, I don't know if, you, if you're if you familiar with uh, Whitmore Rare Books in Pasadena, California, but but sure. I, was in, I was introduced to Dan Whitmore um, who founded the bookstore and, you know, we sat down in the bookstore and I was, the coolest thing for me was the way that he designed the shop. It's all first editions. It's That's a all, beautiful shop. I've yeah. There, yeah. Yeah. And it's set up like a library, mm-hmm. big overstuffed chairs, very comfortable. And we talked about books and it's funny because I don't think I'm not the kind of person who needs to surround myself with, with first editions. I don't need, you know, he was, he's an economist, an economics major in college. So he, That's right. but I, and I don't need, I don't need that, but that's what I love about books is it, it is democratized art, democratized education. It's, Absolutely. you can have, you can have a book that's free from a little free library. You can have a book that costs millions of dollars. Right. You can have the same, same you can have the same book that's free or that costs millions of dollars based on the edition in which it was run, right? <laughs> yep. They might look exactly the same, but they're well, <laughs> d- dog-eared and, and yes. roughed yes. up. Yes, much loved and falling apart, right? And it's funny too, because I, my favorite book is I have a copy of Catch-22. It's a, it's an, it's an early edition um, it's not an investment. It's, you know, mm-hmm. the dust jacket's gone. It was my dad's. And inside huh. the book, it has, you know, from the library of, and for me, that's why it's just, you know, and it's one that I got to give to my son. It's not, it's worth 20 bucks. It's it's a $15 book. Yeah. It's not, but there's such value. Sure. There's a family story there in addition yeah. to the, the story itself. So that's special. And I bring that up because I, I think it's, a, and that's part of what I love so much about this. Um, and as design is starting to change. And by the way, I want to just say, I don't think that in the course of this conversation that the usefulness of public libraries, I love public libraries. And I think they mm. will always be of tremendous value. Absolutely. But I think, I feel like we have rediscovered the value of a, personal library mm-hmm. at home, which is maybe more predictable than a public library where you can go and discover something brand new or go for research. Sure. But a home library, mm-hmm. you kind of already know what's there. It's more of a collectible. It's more of a collection type of environment. Right. 
Right, exactly. Well, the, the public library should be something for everyone and, and a way for people to encounter books in general and a love of reading and to grow up with that. And um, it's such a wonderful community center. But yeah, there's something, if you have the space to have a, a really personalized collection at home, why, why not? If, if you love, if you're a birder or a runner or you really love ceramics, then why wouldn't you have some beautiful books reflecting that and that you can, that you can go to either as a resource or as inspiration at some point? It's a, yeah, it's utilitarian, it's practical, but it's also just a beautiful thing to have around your home. If you have arts and antiques, why not have the books to go with them? You are listening to my conversation with Christy Shannon Smurl of Foxtail Books and Library Services. We'll be right back. We are living in a time of incredible growth, both technologically and creatively, with respect to interior design, exterior design, and architecture. There is no question. There are companies thinking differently about the business of design and how to make products super serve those for whom they're being made. One of those companies, and one of my favorites, is Moya Living, designer and fabricators of some of the most stunningly beautiful, incredibly durable, and highly functional kitchen, bath, and outdoor kitchen cabinetry on the market today. Powder-coated steel with stunning lines, vibrant colors, to fit any design style or aesthetic a history of designing cabinetry for the scientific community. So you know it's been tested in some of the truly the most harsh conditions available. Moya O'Neill is the CEO and founder of Moya Living. She's the inspiration behind the design. Designers, their specification process is so simple. It will make your job so much easier. Check them out online through the socials at Moya Living their website, moyaliving.com, and in the real world, their live kitchen showroom in Fountain Valley, California. So take me, take me through your process of discovery. How do you hunt? Oh, I, so much of the hunting, some of it is, is boots on the ground out in the world, which is, of course is more challenging during COVID, and much of it is on the internet. Um, I I work in many ways. I work the same way as I did when I was a, a librarian for my community. I uh, I keep up on current reviews. I use um, you know databases and, and catalogs that tell me what the best of the best is in in certain topics and um, what might be a critical darling, what might just be incredibly popular or or speak to a cultural moment in America. Um, and then I'm often going to book fairs, uh, especially for rare material when I travel. That's why I've been to that shop in Pasadena is whenever I travel, I stop in at um, used bookstores, rare bookstores, new bookstores, so that I can get my hands on different things. And it's not necessarily that I'm traveling around the country amassing this enormous inventory. It's that if I have a project, I'm hunting for that particular project. And if um, if I'm just scouting, then I'm sort of exploring who is, which of these booksellers is the expert at what, so that when I do get someone asking me for a culinary library or, um, you know, something on the history of San Francisco, then I know, ah, this bookseller will have a couple of special things for me, if not, um, if not a hundred special things for me. And, you know, they'll be able to help me do my job better. So, the same way that I hope designers are outsourcing to me, I am also outsourcing to these experts all around the country um, who help me do my job well. How do you work with designers? 
Designers come to me when they want to elevate a project and they, it's typically when they're on the finishing touches or when they have a project that is, um, is unique enough and clients that they know really care about the details and about um, having these cultural hallmarks around their home. Um, they'll approach me and say, you know, here are the shelves that we have, here's our time frame, and here's the client. And, and it's up to them whether they connect me with the client or directly or if we all work together. And it's, it's the same process as when, when I have, when I work directly with the client that I, I want to know what the home looks like and, and what the, sh the room feels like. Um, certainly just the, the linear feet of the shelves or if there are other surfaces that we're putting books on. And then we talk about who this person is and what sort of books might be exciting for them or might be special for the space. Um, I'm currently working on a project in New York that um, the family has a love of history. So I'm excited to look into what are some great, um, possibly not the most rare thing in the world in New York, but something that you look at it and you think, oh, that's old, that's old New York or, or expresses a, a feeling of history to me. And when I flip through it, I can see my city as it was 100 or 200 years ago, which is exciting. I think it's interesting too. Uh, well, I'm curious. I, I've, I've spoken to art experts who work with the design community and you know, designers have been very vocal to me about their desire when it comes to art. They kind mm. of understand, many do, not everyone. Uh, many don't really understand the value or the, the financial structure behind art. You know, what makes right. this worth that and that worth this? So when clients, they can put a color palette together. They can put sizing together and size and scale, but, you know, and they can ask about a budget, but when it comes to selecting the artwork, sometimes there's, there's a little bit of trepidation. And so they bring in an expert with books. I think because books are so much different than art, but they're also, they can be very much the same. You can have a wonderful piece of art that you picked up at a garage sale for five bucks. Right. You know, and I've, I've seen it before and it's just like, you know what, that is so cool that you can do that mm -hmm. when it, when it comes to books, I feel like it's considered in, in the scope of design as less art and more accessory. Mm -hmm. Right. That's, yeah, that's true because, uh, yeah. And let me know if, if this follows the very high-end books out there, the things that cost more than four figures, those are, it's, it's folks who are already collectors who are buying those things. So it's not the person that comes to me and wants a room full of books. Um, it's the client that comes to me and says, I collect Western Americana, can you, can you help me develop this further? I'm looking for this particular edition. And yeah, because you can get, uh, much like art, you can get something that does not, that looks the same as the thing that costs $20,000, but it's, it's just the second printing instead of the first of the first edition. And, and also you can get a really beautifully bound leather book, um, something that feels good in your hands that, that doesn't even cost a hundred dollars. So it's the world is your oyster depending here's, on your budget. Here's the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about specifically. So here it's really funny because I have learned some things 
living in Tulsa for about six months now and working on this design house project that I didn't know um, mm. growing up and living in Southern California, specifically humidity. <laughs> yes. So in the summertime, I, I have a hygrometer over here because I'm, you know, I'm doing a, I'm doing a piece on this because I'm really, I've really been thinking about it a lot because the, you know, the house that we're working on is a 1936 home. And, you know, the, the cracks in old paint that mm -hmm. automatically kind of appeared during wintertime, not really understanding why. And it's because, well, the, the humidity wasn't there from the summer anymore. And so the, the wood is contracting. Right. And leading to, oh, dear. well, no, and, and that's fine. <laughs> we had accounted for, for this because, you know, everything's okay. being fixed up anyway. But it got me thinking about our conversation. And I'm curious too, because, you know, you're in Jackson Hole, it gets really cold. And so mm -hmm. when it gets really cold, you, you shutter the house and you turn on the heat and the heat sucks all the humidity out of the space. Mm -hmm. Great humidity fluctuations can wreak havoc on something made of pulp and paper. Yes, it's true. Same as art. Right, right. I haven't had anything catastrophic happen yet, but I have seen books that I've, I've bought, you know, an edition that came from Florida and, and then it gets here and the cover starts to bow this beautiful 18th century book. And so you have to take care of it and try to get it to, um, to adjust to our really dry climate. It's cold here, but it's also quite dry. So, um, and then things go the other way. I mean, if I, have a client who if there's a little bit of mold in a room like one book had a bit of tea spilled on it and it got moldy that can be bad for the I mean it can spread through a collection and just ruin hundreds of books um and the shelving underneath them so it's tricky yeah they're they're fragile fragile things you have to take care of them and so you know I I, I bring it up because I I think that depending on regions of the country um, mm -hmm. moving collections, finding where a collection is from. And again, I think it adds value when you have somebody who is assisting the same as an, as an art dealer or art collector or art consultant mm -hmm. who's, who's helping select, you know, and understanding if, if this book came from South Florida and you're moving it, you know, and it's going to be showcased in Arizona, right. You know, or Southern California, which is a desert. Mm -hmm. there are, there are, you know, things that you have to do to take care of the books. And I, I really don't think that that is, I don't hear that talked about as much. And I'm mm -hmm. curious that that has to be something that goes into consideration that that is part of a, a consultant service. It, it is. Yeah. And, and I often, um, it's great when a client has the foresight or when I have the foresight to say, oh, you live in this climate, let's think about this. And also let's think about the light that's hitting these rare books. Or if you want to have you know, your, your rarest things in a, in a case that protects them from dust and light. Um, because a lot of times we're dealing with something that has happened, possibly it has happened years ago and we don't even know how the book got destroyed or how it got damaged. And we have to head to um, someone in preservation or restoration that, that can help us either take it back to its original condition, which is unlikely, or protect it so that it doesn't deteriorate further. Um, on the other hand, I, I've had clients that ask me, you know, should we be protecting these better? Um, 
maybe books that they love, maybe family volumes? Do, should we tuck these away in a case? Should we um, have them in a room when there's where there's no light? And it is a balance because I believe that books are for use, even collectible, beautiful books. I mean, if you're spending the money on something and then hiding it away, you don't get to enjoy it. And that's not to say that you should have it um, out where your toddler can reach it and put your teacup down next to it on the shelf. But uh, I, I try to tell people, you know, yes, it's, it's your job to be a custodian of this beautiful thing and, and to protect it and help it live longer. But it's also something that's in your life that you have purchased or that has come to you and, and that you deserve to enjoy and you deserve to look at when you come into the room or that you might want to show your guests if it's something particularly special. And so you have to figure out what the priority is there. And I'm, I'm not going to scold people that are not doing exactly what they ought to be doing uh, to, to make a book last as long as it possibly could. And I think that there's, there's the key to this, right? And it's the balance and it, a collectible book is still in and of itself different from another collectible piece of art. You know, you're not going to go take mm -hmm. a, a picture off the wall and hold it and move it around. Right. And, and right. The, the oils on your hands, you know, if you're flipping through a book, mm -hmm. it's going, it's going to happen. I think that there's the decision that has to be made. Is this, is this going to be a, you're not going to wear gloves every time you read a book, or maybe you are depending on the the volume that you're reading. I think ultimately what it comes down to for me anyway, and, and my love of books. And I think mm. probably you're, for you, I'm curious, your, your take on this, they're to be used. You know, yes. if, if something is purely collectible and it's, it's for an investment, then you're not really using it. You're putting it in a, in a safe or a vault or you're putting it on a shelf, mm. but it's not to right. be, to be right. handled. Yeah. That kind of diminishes what a book is. Absolutely. But yeah, the technology, I mean, the, the shape of the thing is meant, meant for our hands. And the one wonderful thing about uh, very old books, which I'll tell you because, and, and I, everyone should know this because it is a common, uh, I, I used to think this as well, you should never wear gloves when you're handling old books because they are fragile. And because our, if you're paging through something, the gloves actually uh, prevent your hands from the sensitivity of of not tearing a page as you turn it. Um, and if it's a leather bound book, it, those leather bound books do love the oil in our hands. Now, certainly I don't want us all to have uh, olive oil hands when we're picking up our books and you, could, you don't wanna make the pages oily, but um, yeah, it's a little known fact that, that you shouldn't, we, we should have our, our gloves on if we're hand, handling our, um, what, our Monet that's on the wall, but not the, the books from that era on the shelf beside it. Fair enough. So two final questions for you. Um, the first is, do you have any desire to publish? Absolutely. Yes. I would love to publish. <laughs> so is, do you foresee that being something that you do in the future that's, that's part of your scope of services? You know, I have helped several uh, local authors here in Jackson Hole with their writing and publishing projects. I've, I've edited a couple of books and helped people go through, figure out what it, what it takes to publish something. I love to write. I think that people, uh, as much as people are drawn to books, they're also drawn to books about books. So I would love it if that was in my future. Uh, and certainly publishing is interesting if I ever 
I forgot to have a, a corner on that market. It would be fun, but who knows? Yeah, what's to come? I think I think making a book, uh, whether it's the content inside or making decisions about the physical object, is is a lot of fun and a whole lot of work, but can be really exciting. So yes, good question. And then the the last one I have for you is, and I'm going to totally put you on the spot here. And if you if you don't, it's totally cool. But do you have a five favorites? Ooh. I don't. I, I will tell you my childhood favorite was The NeverEnding Story. I really love that book and I have read it repeatedly. But I don't have five favorites. And actually, I will dodge the question because I like to tell people that I am not, uh, I'm, there's a reason I'm not a literary, a literature professor. I, I don't tell people what they should read. I am resourceful about the topics and, and types of literature that they are interested in. So I never want to tell anyone, these are the five best books in the English language. Um, if they tell me they want the five best books in the English language, I go to other experts to figure out, okay, what, what does the zeitgeist say that these five books should be? So, Christy, seriously, that is, that is the best dodge I've, I've ever heard. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I try. <laughs> yeah, no, that is fantastic. Um, this was really great. I love this. Thank you for the time. I love talking about thank books you and this was great. Time. Yeah, really fun. Thanks so much. I know you love talking about great partnerships the same way I do. Let me tell you about an incredible design partner who is working with us on the Convo by Design Remote Design House Tulsa project, Franz Wigner. A company created in 1899 in Attendorn, Germany. They started manufacturing brass beer taps. In 1921, the company expanded to Buenos Aires, manufacturing brass faucetry. The company launched in the U.S. in 1992, and Franz Wigner Premium Collection began in 2008. Franz Wigner crafts high-quality premium faucets with the objective to create a design-oriented luxury product that exceeds the standards set by world-class designers and architects. Pretty heady stuff, and they do it. If you see a Franz Wigner faucet, it is stunning. You use Franz Wigner faucets, and they perform flawlessly. Product you can depend on after over 120 years designing a truly stunning faucet line. For more information and to check out the entire line of faucets, visit franzwigner.com. So I'm going to spell it for you, right? <laughs> F-R-A-N-Z-V-I-E-G-E-N-E-R.com. Thank you, Franz Wigner. Thank you, Christy. I, I, I appreciate the time. I love what you do. And thank you for listening to the podcast, subscribing to the show, and sending me your emails. I love your stories and su suggestions for, for guests. They've been great. It's summer in 2022 and travel is back and in full swing so you are going to be hearing episodes of the show from new york texas and la from events in the coming weeks and months ahead you are also going to be hearing episodes showcasing the work done on the 2022 remote design house tulsa a project i am extremely proud of and really looking forward to sharing with you so keep listening make sure you're subscribing so that you get every episode as soon as it's published Thanks again for taking part of your busy day to spend with me and the most wonderful designers in the world. Until next week, be well and take today first.